Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No them. American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaigns. Oh wait, unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Whenever you hear the word impeachment, I want you to substitute another word, coup. You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW Talknet. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thanks for joining us during uh, this awful week here in America as the country's been shut down by the coronavirus crisis. Uh, there's a lot going on, obviously. I'll talk a little bit about the coronavirus, uh, but also we've had some major developments in our various cases on accountability. Adam Schiff is in court versus Judicial Watch. You won't believe his efforts to keep his uh, impeachment coup attack record secret. And then we have an update on Hillary Clinton's desperate efforts to avoid being questioned by Judicial Watch as well. And on top of that, we just received yet another batch of secret Hillary Clinton emails or heretofore Clinton, uh, secret Clinton emails. Uh, and you won't believe what's in there. Uh, but first up, I guess I'll talk about uh, Adam Schiff, because Adam Schiff, as you know, was the leader of the kooka ball against President Trump. Uh, he orchestrated the uh, UK, Ukraine smear before that. He was orchestrating uh, the Russiagate smears, lying repeatedly about the president, engaging in unethical behavior six ways to Sunday uh, to try to remove the president of the United States, illicitly and unlawfully in my view. So that's why when they uh, call an impeachment, I don't think it should be called impeachment, it should be called a coup. Because a, a coup is something you do when you have no lawful basis, no good faith basis to remove a government official. It, a coup is what you do when you abuse your powers, abuse the Constitution, and try to remove the head of a government. And that's what Adam Schiff tried to do. And in doing so, like most coosters, he, uh, is that a word, coosters? But it sounds a good one, it sounds like it might be a good one here. He uh, broke the law or violated his oath of office to uphold the Constitution or otherwise abuse his authority to target Trump. And one of the ways he did that was secretly subpoenaing and obtaining the phone records of people around Donald Trump, specifically his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, specifically his other lawyer, Jay Sekulow, specifically a member of Congress, Devin Nunes, specifically other lawyers close or allied to Trump. Victoria Tenzing and Joe Geneva, specifically reporters such as John Solomon and who knows who else. But all those phone records were published as a result of illicit subpoenas targeting Rudy Giuliani and uh, this uh, gentleman, Mr. Parnas, who was uh, close to Giuliani for a bit, uh, and his records were also subpoenaed. Now, you may not know this, but your phone records are supposed to be private and secure and only to be released if they're subject to lawful subpoenas. And a lawful subpoena typically is a subpoena that is issued with the approval of a court, not based on Adam Schiff's say-so. That's what happened in this case. You had Schiff subpoenaing the phone records, I think it was AT&T, at least the public reporting is, and then taking those records, and it was, again, there was no court oversight, he just did it because he wanted to. And then he took those records, looked at them, and then published uh, phone material from other people who may have been talking to Giuliani. And that's why all these other people got caught up in it. So he not only illicitly subpoenaed those phone records, then he violated their rights by 
publishing their confidential phone data of people like uh, Nunes and company. And of course, it was all to get Trump. So one way to get around the attorney-client privilege, one way to get around objections that President Trump is having to documents being subpoenaed out of his White House was to do an end round around it by going and trying to get the phone records of his lawyer. An incredible abuse. I don't think it's legal. I think it should have been criminally investigated. I don't think AT&T, if indeed that was the phone company, should have given him the records. So that's, you know, that is just one element of the coup attack targeting President Trump. And frankly, it was one of the reasons the Senate should never have given Schiff the time of day on an impeachment trial. They should never have allowed him to come in before the Senate. They should have said, you know, this is your, your, your game, your coup attack was full of prosecutorial misconduct. And we're not going to allow it to go to trial. Courts do that all the time. And that's what the Senate should have done. But they didn't. Uh, but uh, the president was acquitted nevertheless, despite this awful abuse targeting him. The question is, is there going to be accountability? Is there going to be about accountability about what Adam Schiff and his coup cabal did? And what Judicial Watch does is that we think of ways to hold government officials accountable when the regular processes don't want to. Or I shouldn't say regular, but things, uh, uh, entities and government entities or, or uh or, or uh, legal processes that ought to work aren't working. The ethics process on the Hill is broken. The Justice Department doesn't want to do anything. And they're certainly not against Adam Schiff, that's for sure. So it's up to Judicial Watch to come in. Once again, we go to federal court and we sued. And what we did was we sued uh, under this theory of the law that you, the American people, and Judicial Watch, obviously, have a common law right to public information, specifically this, these uh, out, outrageous subpoenas that Schiff had secretly issued to try to get the phone records, or successfully get the phone records of uh, Giuliani and others. So we sued in federal court. I think, when did we sue? We sued in... It was late last year. Yeah, it was December. We, we asked for the records in December. Then we ended up suing a little bit later. Uh, so, um, you know, as we said, the records are of critical public importance as the subpoenas were issued without any lawful basis and violate the rights of numerous private citizens. Remember, all these people he was targeting are innocent. Yes, innocent. Disclosure of the requested records would serve the public interest by providing information about the unlawful issuance of the subpoenas. The requested records fall within the scope of the public's right of access to governmental records as a matter of federal criminal law. And so uh, you file something in court, and then, of course, we sued um, Mr. Schiff and the House Intelligence Committee, the Select Committee on Intelligence that authorized these uh, subpoenas. And they responded. Now, they responded using your tax dollars, of course. I guess that's not surprising, but you still could be outraged by it. The House could have just given us the records rather than fight us, but instead they're spending your money to fight our right to know. So the uh, shift is being represented for, for lawyers in the Office of General Counsel in the U.S. House of Representatives. So it's not just Schiff, it's the entire House majority that is fighting us here, Nancy Pelosi and company. And uh, they uh, think 
that they are above the law here. You won't believe their arguments they're using to try to stop Judicial Watch's lawsuit. As I summarized it, uh, well, actually, I'm going to read you the table of contents because that's a classic. Uh, it's, it, it shows you they threw everything but the kitchen sink at us in trying to stop us. But it shows you also how arrogant they are in terms of their assertion of privilege to stop these records from being produced. Privilege, yes. They're asserting privilege to keep secret records. Remember, there was an, a president, his name was Trump, who was impeached for doing the same thing? Well, Adam Schiff is now doing what he impeached President Trump for doing. Except this is different because these privileges are fraudulent as a matter of law, in my view. So they're not even made in good faith. The court, this is from the argument they make. This is the table of contents. This court lacks jurisdiction over the House defendants because their sovereign immunity has not been waived. This court lacks jurisdiction over House defendants under the speech or debate clause. There's a privilege. Sovereign immunity, it's another privilege. What's sovereign immunity? It's the idea that you can only sue a government entity unless, you're sta uh, uh, unless there's statutory authority or waiver to do so. Of course, what they don't want to talk about is one way to get around that and challenge that under even sovereign immunity privileges is the allegation of misconduct, which they pretend we don't allege. Plaintiff fails to set a claim to state a claim for which relief can be granted. FOIA preempts the plaintiff's common law right of access claim. So they're saying because FOIA applies to the executive branch, therefore Congress is exempt from open records requests under common law, even though FOIA exempts Congress. So wrap your head around that. And then they say plaintiff is not entitled to review the subpoenas because they are not public records, which means they're secret. So you can't get them even if you have a right to them because they're secret. So that's the attitude. So Judicial Watch can't see them because of the speech or debate clause privilege, because of the sovereign immunity issue, because of they are immune from FOIA and transparency law at all. The records are secret. And yes, they say at the end of the brief, the public doesn't have a right to see them. They're not important enough for the public to see them. That the interest the committee has in their secrecy overrides the public interest in their disclosure. What I think is interesting, so this is, this is Schiff's argument. He's above the law, and, but it's an even broader issue about than whether Judicial Watch is able to get these records under the Freedom of Information Act. Not under Freedom of Information Act, uh, under the general transparency uh, law that's out there in federal common law. The issue is, can Congress, on its own, secretly subpoena your phone records and spy on you and then publish those records with zero accountability? Zero accountability. Adam Schiff in the House of Representatives tells us through this court pleading that they should be able to spy on you, take your phone records that are protected by law, that if a law enforcement agency sought them, they would need a court-authorized subpoena to do so. They're saying they don't need that. They can issue the subpoena on their own power and get your phone records. So there's been this big debate about FISA. There's been this big debate 
about Spygate and whether the FBI and whether the CIA or, or, or the Justice Department broke the law or abused their power by uh, targeting uh, President Trump and then candidate Trump with unlawful spying. And that's the only thing we need to worry about. Adam Schiff shows you we also need to worry about Congress spying on the American people. Because what Adam Schiff is saying in court, and obviously the media isn't terribly interested in covering this, Adam Schiff is telling you, we can spy on you, America, and there's not a darn thing you can do about it. You can't ask us questions about it under transparency law, and Lord knows if you wanted to sue us about it, these same arguments would hold. How do you like that? So I want you, as a project this week, call your members of Congress and ask them what they think of that position. Democrats and Republicans, let them know what's being said on their behalf by the House General Counsel. That they can spy on you, America, and there's not a darn thing you can do about it. And as I've told you before, the coup attack against President Trump was never just about President Trump. It was about you. Your right to decide who should be your leader. Your rights to be protected from the predations of corrupt government officials who are willing to violate the Constitution, trample all over your rights, as God, uh, your God-given rights, to achieve a political outcome. And in this case, Adam Schiff obviously violated the rights of President Trump, I would say. He violated the rights of Giuliani and those other Americans who were caught up there, caught up in those phone records disclosures. He just published them. He went and snooped. AT&T wrongly gave him the records. They shouldn't have given him the records to begin with, but they did. So today, or yesterday it was Adam, it was, it was President Trump Schiff was targeting. Then it was Rudy Giuliani. Then it was Devin Nunes, a fellow member of the House. Then it was Jay Sekulow. Then it was two lawyers who appear on TV defending the president, exercising their First Amendment rights, uh, Victoria and Joe. John Solomon, an independent journalist. Who's, and these are only the subpoenas we know about. What other subpoenas did they issue? Did they take my phone records? I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me given Schiff's corruption. He hates us, I'm sure, because of our ethics complaints against him. So we're in court now, and we'll see what the federal court does. And one of the reasons I get excited about this, I'm excited that Judicial Watch is doing this great work, but I'm also excited in a negative way in the sense that why are we the ones doing it? A little help here, Justice Department, other honest, honest members of Congress who are willing to hold Schiff accountable for his misconduct. Where's the media? That's why we're in a crisis. I mean, the coronavirus isn't going to kill our republic unless the government actually does something significant, uh, presuming the government doesn't really screw things up too bad. 
This is the sort of thing that will kill our republic, folks. This unchecked abuse by members of Congress who now think they can spy on you the way the NSA can. Just take your records secretly. That's their legal position, and it was detailed in this court pleading. It's available on our internet site, judicialwatch.org, and elsewhere. So go ahead and look at it. Uh, another court battle, as I told you about last week a little bit, is um, against Hillary Clinton. So Hillary Clinton was ordered to post um, by a federal court judge in a Judicial Watch Freedom of Information Act case. We were seeking the Benghazi talking points. This is the lawsuit that exposed the Clinton email scandal. And uh, the judge in late 2017 began um, allowing Judicial Watch to conduct discovery. What is discovery? I know as a non-lawyer, I'm used to these words. And, I, and one thing I always tell my colleagues is that we have to recognize that uh, ordinary Americans don't recognize these legal words necessarily, although they're a lot more in play now because of television procedurals and things, uh, police procedurals and things like that. But discovery is essentially taking evidence. We get to get documents. Uh, we get to bring in test witnesses to testify. We can send written questions under, uh, that need to be responded to under oath. They're called interrogatories. So long story short, the court authorized discovery and allowed us, at least through um, 2019, it was the end of 2018, he began, the, the discovery was authorized, excuse me. So in 2019, we deposed about 20 witnesses. And the judge was interested in the following. Did Mrs. Clinton use the Clinton email system to avoid FOIA? Or did they try to game the court? Did they try to hoodwink the court into shutting our case down before they were forced to admit the Clinton emails? And see, where are the rest of Hillary's emails? So we found more and more evidence that there's something going wrong here. Mrs. Clinton was, we've confirmed Mrs. Clinton was warned repeatedly. The State Department knew about her email system, didn't tell anyone about it. The Obama White House was involved in its cover-up. They're still finding Clinton emails. I'll talk about that later. And he also found that Hillary Clinton's previous answers on the topics I'm talking about were insufficient. And so she, he wanted, him to, wanted her to testify. And so the testimony was ordered within 75 days, which would have ended May 16th. And just last week, Hillary Clinton ran to court and filed an extraordinary motion. It's called a mandamus petition. You know, I call it an appeal, but it's not even technically an appeal. It's almost, it's almost like she's suing the lower court, going to the appellate court to stop the lower court from doing something improper. So just to describe it that way shows you how extraordinary it is and how unlikely in the ordinary course it would, it, it is, um, it would, uh, how, how unlikely it would succeed in the ordinary course. She's saying there's, you know, there's an extraordinary emergency situation that requires this unusual intervention by the appellate court to overturn and stop her from being deposed. And her logic is, in the, in the brief, is that she has an indisputable right not to be questioned under oath about these issues. Indisputable right. So uh, the brief was filed last week, as I've told you before, and since then the court has gotten back to us and said, look, you've got 10 days to respond to Mrs. Clinton, 
and she has 10 days to reply to you. So that puts it out to the briefing period through April 10th, which is pretty darn quick. It's 20 days. So we should, I, I would presume, they'll have arguments shortly thereafter. So uh, this, this case is proceeding apace, and, uh, but other aspects of the lawsuit of discovery will continue. Now, Cheryl Mills, her top aide, her uh, chief of staff at the State Department, and then the lawyer who was given immunity by the FBI, Cheryl Mills, and who's also actually responsible for helping delete half of her emails, Hillary Clinton's emails, all those 33,000 emails, the court authorized us to grant her, uh, to uh, have her testify as well. She appealed along with Mrs. Clinton. But the court also authorized us to uh, depose two uh, State Department witnesses, so we're trying to get them scheduled. And then there's a subpoena to Google because one of her email people had um, supposedly sent all of her emails to a Google email address. So the court, as I said, wants to find out where her emails might be where her emails might be, and so she, he authorized the subpoena on Google. Now, because of the coronavirus crisis, uh, the, we may not uh, complete discovery by May 15th. It may be extended a bit. I don't know how that's going to turn out. And, uh, but Mrs. Clinton wasn't using the coronavirus to avoid testimony. She's just saying that she's too important, practically speaking, to, be have, to have to testify to us. Really an incredible position given her direct personal knowledge of this. I mean, look, we're asking about the Clinton email case, right? Who else would we talk to than the person who set it up? Hillary Clinton. I mean, it's just basic. I mean, we recognize and the courts recognize that senior government officials, even if they're, quote, former senior government officials, you know, you just don't get to depose them willy-nilly every time you've got a dispute with the federal government. In this case, it's about her email system and how it was set up and did it avoid FOIA? What was she told about that topic? Uh, how did she think people were going to get her emails if they were being kept secret from everyone? Those are the sorts of questions the court wants answered. And Mrs. Clinton doesn't want to answer them. She's desperate to stop this questioning by Judicial Watch because no one has asked her questions like this before. No one. I, in the last week's uh, episode of our weekly update, I read you the entire court ruling. And I encourage you to go and look at our court, Judge Lambert's ruling on our internet site at judicialwatch.org. Uh, we'll, we'll try to post it uh, here as well. Read it, and you'll see why she's desperate to avoid questioning by our top flight attorneys. Because we know what the issues are. The court wants specific questions answered, and now she's seeking this extraordinary emergency intervention to stop us from getting the questions answered. So the question now I have is, what is the Justice Department going to do about this? Because I told you this is, this is really an abuse that Mrs. Clinton is doing here in terms of this mandamus petition. What's the Justice Department's position? They've been colluding with Hillary on this issue. Her people, her witness, her her test, uh, um, her her lawyers. They've been helping her. They've been defending her. They didn't want us to depose Hillary Clinton. They thought that there should be no additional questions asked of anyone. What are they going to do about this? Are they going to remain silent, neutral, 
are they going to support Mrs. Clinton? What they should do is come in on our side. You can guess what that's going to, you can guess how likely that is. So the Justice Department has been defending Hillary Clinton. The court overrode the Justice Department's objections, the State Department's objections, Hillary Clinton's objections. And rather than just submit to discovery as the court ordered, Hillary Clinton has run to the court in a desperate effort, to the upper courts, in a desperate effort to stop us from questioning her. So I'll keep you updated as events warrant. As I said, our brief is due in 10 days, and then uh, their brief is due. And I, don't, I presume the court will have some oral arguments, which means our lawyers will have to go to court versus Hillary Clinton's lawyers before a three-judge panel. So I'll let you know how that turns out. So I tell you, don't you love Judicial Watch? I keep on asking you that, but, but don't you love Judicial Watch? We've got, we're fighting Adam Schiff to try to get records about his misconduct. We uncovered the Clinton email scandal, and Mrs. Clinton now is in a tooth and nail battle with us in court about whether she's questioned under oath. Who else does this? Who else? We're doing it over the objections over the State Department and Justice Department. I know we complain about the problems with the rule of law here, but isn't the law wonderful when it works here in the United States? Because there's no other place in the world where it works like this. We can go in and beat the biggest government agencies, some of the most powerful government agencies in the history of the world. Thanks to the rule of law that is still in existence here in the United States. And this is why we're, it's, what, our work is so important and why you should be supporting it. Because we have this precious, precious right to challenge our government in court, petition our government, and be on equal footing, more or less. I know it's often David versus Goliath, but because of the rule of law, it's often Goliath versus Goliath, because we've got the Constitution on our back. We have federal law at our back. And because the laws are sometimes followed by the courts and upheld by the courts, more often than you might think, we can beat back the deep state. We can beat back powerful politicians like uh, Hillary Clinton. That's why I love Judicial Watch, because A, we do the work that everyone else is afraid to do, but B, we show you that the American system and our country is the greatest country in the world as a result of our work. We uncover the corruption, but the fact that we're able to do it is such a wonderful vindication of our way of life here in the United States. It really is. So um, speaking of Hillary Clinton, we've got some new information. One of the reasons the court in that case uh, in, uh, granted us discovery was because he was really upset when the State Department admitted last year that they, uh, or they told us, that the FBI had found new Clinton emails. Now, they didn't, as I, we describe in our press release, the State Department did not provide information about where the emails were found, why they were not previously produced, or if additional records were anticipated. And they first told us about this in November of last year, and they gave us a batch of emails that showed two things. The first batch showed that there was, A, more classified information the FBI, quote, had found, 
And of course, this classified information was from the emails that the FBI had either deleted or found elsewhere. Excuse me, that Hillary Clinton had deleted or tried to hide. Remember she said she only deleted non-governmental emails? No, she was deleting classified information in government documents. And the first batch showed that it, was, it contained classified information and that she was using text messages to conduct government business. So we sued for those text messages because the State Department's telling us they don't have any of it. So they just gave us the second batch, and whoa, are they big. More smoking gun documents. It includes classified information again. We don't know what the nature of the classified information is. It also includes a discussion of Benghazi. One of the things the, courts was upset, the court was upset about, or concerned about, he wanted to know if one of the reasons they were hiding the emails was because they were concerned about what might be in there about Benghazi. And that's why Hillary Clinton has to testify to Judicial Watch. By the way, even though she has tried to appeal that, test, that order to testify, it's still out there. But she not only has to testify to Judicial Watch about her email usage as it relates to FOIA and other matters, but documents related to the Benghazi attack. So now we have this document where Hillary Clinton tells her private attorney, I think it was her private attorney at the time, may have been even his, her book agent, Robert Barnett, Jake and I, who's Jake Sullivan, one of her top aides, were discussing the Benghazi security issue since he tried to tell redacted, the names blacked out, would be asked about it, but they didn't think so. Might, good, might be good for you to call Jake, too. Huh. So this is a Benghazi email that had been hidden from us for years. Also, classified information. We don't know what's in it because it's completely classified, so we don't even know what the topic is. And there's also a document showing that there were talking points on this system about a conversation or a briefing that she was going to have with the President of the United States, Barack Obama. Talking points are completely redacted. You know, and this is the way the judge, and so this is, this is the second batch of the, first, of the batch of emails that the FBI had, quote, magically found. We still don't know the answers to these questions about where they found them. They couldn't tell the court that. This is what the court said about it. With each passing round of discovery, the court is left with more questions than answers. What's more, during the December 19, 2019 status conference, Judicial Watch disclosed that the FBI recently produced approximately 30 previously undisclosed Clinton emails. State failed to fully explain the new email's origins when the court directly questioned where they came from. Even though many important questions remain unanswered, the Justice Department inexplicably still takes the position that the court should close discovery and rule on dispositive motions, meaning just end the case. The court is especially troubled by this. To argue that the court now has enough information to determine whether state conducted an adequate search is preposterous, especially when considering state's deficient representations regarding the existence of additional Clinton emails. So they told the court everything's been produced, and now it's found out that's a big lie. And that's why we have discovery, 
And that's why Hillary Clinton was ordered to come in and be questioned under oath, at least in part. It was one of the key reasons. So you can look at the emails on our internet site. Here they are, 80 pages or so. And we don't know, again, if there are more to be found, but that's why we've got the discovery. So uh, Judicial Watch is uh, just doing incredible work on this. The Clinton email scandal is not going away, and it's continuing because we're still getting more information. It's incredible. So uh, before I, uh, I let you go, I'm sure you want to hear the latest on the coronavirus from our perspective, or frankly, just more my perspective. You know, I, I've long been uh, concerned about the coronavirus in China. I thought there should be steps taken to restrict access, and the president did that pretty darn quickly, relatively speaking. Uh, but, uh, and we need to take it seriously in terms of restricting travel and, and things like that, and there have been some steps that have been taken that uh, I don't necessarily object to. But what I do object to is the whole country being shut down. Our economy is being killed as we speak, uh, the government is talking about uh, tens, hundreds of billions of dollars in just writing checks to people, delaying the payment of taxes and things like that, you know, some of which may be work and may be useful to some people who are facing uh, economic disastrous, consequen uh, disastrous consequences. But it isn't enough. We've got to get the country moving again. And the president and the governors, you know, uh, and it just goes to show you that, you know, we, we it, it's, it's reassuring to see the president, you know, the president's doing a good job. You have uh, Democratic governors who we may disagree with on all sorts of issues. But uh, Andrew Cuomo and Gavin Newsom, they seem, you know, I don't agree with everything they've done, but they're obviously taking it seriously and they're trying to work to protect their people. I maybe disagree with the specifics, but it goes to show that when there are serious issues, the government needs to take things seriously, no matter whether they're Democrat or Republican. And that sometimes the party that you disagree with, and I'm here talking to you Republicans, and the party I, you disagree with, and I'm talking to you Democrats, they may do the right thing, and you've got to acknowledge that. But I think things have gone on too long in terms of suppressing our economy. And we've got to take into account the dire consequences of the continued shutdown of America. I don't want people to die unnecessarily from the flu. I don't want to get people sick from the flu. Or the coronavirus. But if people don't have jobs, if businesses are destroyed, that has health consequences as well. A poorer country a country in a deep recession or depression, people will die from that too. And there have been these advances with this malarial drug and other uh, drugs that seemingly can treat the worst aspects of the coronavirus symptoms, especially those who are facing acute situations. I think that's more than enough reason to start reopening the country. I appreciate the efforts of the public health officials, uh, but the, you know, Dr. Fauci, for instance, was saying it could be several more weeks 
before we get the country open again. That can't, that can't, that simply can't be allowed to happen. We've got to get the country moving again. It's the only way to rescue the economy. And frankly, when it comes to the long-term public health of the nation, a strong economy is the best way to protect it. And it doesn't mean you can't take significant steps and continue significant restrictions to secure the public health, whether it be at the border or internally, but we've just got to get people moving back to their offices, back to work, back to school in a regular organized way while taking into account the public health risks. Because I don't want the cure to kill the patient, which is what I'm concerned about. So that's, those are my quick thoughts. And of course, Judicial Watch is, is doing Freedom Information Act requests and other things about uh, the coronavirus, and we'll, we've been investigating it. Uh, my colleague, Chris Farrell, uh, Farrell, had a great interview, Stephen Hatfield, who is an expert on, um, on epidemics like this and pandemics, and I encourage you to watch that YouTube video. So we're tracking it as carefully as we can. Uh, Judicial Watches, as I can tell, show you, we're still trying to do our work. I think our work is essential, don't you? I don't want to shut down Judicial Watch for weeks and months. The FBI told us the other day, no, no FOIA. Their FOIA operations are shutting down at least until March 30th. So no government accountability. Well, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I mean, we're seeing reports of people's businesses who have been, they put their lives into just being snuffed out. And every day this happens adds to the calamity. It's got to stop as soon as possible. So I encourage the president and the governors, with the silver lining of this coronavirus, is it exposes the fact that we need, we have a federalist system and the genius of that federalist system. But the governors and the president and members of Congress, to the degree they're considering all of their spending proposals, they need to take a deep breath, make informed judgments. Yes, listen to the medical experts, but remember there are a variety of views about whether or not to continue this suppression of our nation. There may be constitutional issues about restricting people's movement after a period of time here as well. And we'll be looking at those. Uh, but the, this can't go on forever. It simply can't. And by forever, I mean uh, every, any day past today is too long in my book at this point. We've got to get people back to work. I fear for the future of our country if we don't do it soon. So uh, on that, I guess, unhappy note, I wish you, though, and yours uh, a healthy and safe week. And I'll see you next time here on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's Weekly Update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.